So with that said, I do want to welcome up Amelia, who's going to be preaching this morning. So let's give Amelia a warm welcome as she comes. Thank you, Mike. Hi. So my name is Amelia, and I am the children's program director here at the river. Welcome. I'm glad that you're here with us. So as a children's program director, I have played a lot of games with children. And I've learned that games can be competitive and may bring out our true personality. So I'm just curious. And I wonder if you could answer this question by raising your hand. If you play a game with a child, would you let the child win in hope not to break their heart or their spirit? Or would you bring out your A game, your best performance, and give that child a good run for his money? So who's for number one? Let the child win. All right. And who's for number two? Wow, okay, so we have some competitive players here. So a few years ago, I was playing a game with one particular child, <clears throat> and for whatever reasons, I kept winning. Not because I was skillful. <laughs> it was a game of chances and probability. But this child was very persistent, so we kept playing round after round. Until at one point, she said, I gave up. Of course you kept winning because you work for God. <laughs> and I thought that was the funniest thing ever. <laughs> but I understand her thinking. We live in a world where if we work hard at something, we will reap the benefits of it, right? Good things will come. I believe this and many people I'm sure believe this too. And if you please your boss, you will gain favor. So apparently, I please God, and God let me win games. Maybe next time I should try the lottery. So when we live in the world, uh, we live in the world where exchanges and transactions happen all the time. So we work hard at work and trade in our time for money and financial security. We exchange our labor and sweat at the gym so we may be fit and look more attractive. Even socially, when we share our resources, we gain likability among our peers. And when you live in a big city like New York, with higher societal expectations for success, for wealth, and status, this no-pain-no-gain mentality is amplified even more. According to a report, 41% of New Yorkers work over 49 hours a week, which is higher than this national average of 33%. And this is not without a cost. <clears throat> we experience chronic fatigue, burnout, mental health issue, strained relationship, and social isolations because we believe in this myth that hardship, sacrifice, and suffering are necessary for success and fulfillment in life. 
And this is the transactions that we must make. So we hustle, we struggle, and we wrestle. In the Bible, we have one character named Jacob. Jacob was known as someone who likes to make transactions. Jacob was always making deals. And one of the famous stories was between him and his older twin brother, Esau. As the firstborn son, Esau was entitled to the double portion of the father's inheritance. One day, when Esau returned from hunting and was extremely hungry, Jacob was taking advantage of the situation. He offered Esau a bowl of stew in exchange for his birthright. Esau, driven by his hunger, agreed and despised his birthright. Later, when their father Isaac was old and blind, Jacob, with the help of his mother Rebekah, deceived Isaac into blessing him instead of Esau. Jacob went to his father and said, My father, yes, my son, who is it? Jacob said, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. So Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So apparently, Jacob had covered his hand with goat skin. So Isaac proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? He asked. I am. He replied. Jacob deceived his father and cheated on his brother in order to get the blessing that was meant for Esau. And if you notice in the passage, Jacob referred to God as Isaac's God, my father's God. I thought that was pretty interesting. He did not see God as his. He did not see God as for him for Jacob too. So Jacob lived his life like a lone wolf, that in order to have good things in life, the inheritance and the blessings, he must fight for them. After all, being born second was never his choice. The name Jacob means the heel grabber. The Bible said that Jacob and Esau were wrestling with each other in their mother's womb. During the birth, as Esau was coming out first, Jacob held onto his brother's heel, which might symbolize Jacob's character and might metaphorically set the theme of his life too, one that was filled with wrestle and struggles. Esau was understandably furious when he discovered that Jacob had obtained both the birthright and blessings. So he vowed to kill Jacob and forcing him to flee to his uncle Laban. Jacob's life with Laban was far from easy too. 
in order to marry Jacob's daughter, Rachel, the woman of his dream, Jacob had to work for seven years, only to find out after the wedding night that it was Leah's, Rachel's older sister. The trickster was tricked. So Jacob was required to work for another seven years to marry Rachel. Laban also frequently changed Jacob's wages and mistreated him. At one point, Jacob decided to return to his homeland. And as he approached the land of his brother Esau, Jacob was filled with fear and uncertainty about how Esau would receive him. So Jacob sent messengers ahead to Esau, offering him gifts as a sign of goodwill and, again, making some kind of transaction to appease Esau. But an interesting event happened the night before he met Esau. Jacob got up in the middle of the night and took his wives, his 11 children, and everything he owned across the other side of the Jabbok River for safety. Afterwards, Jacob went back and spent the rest of the night alone. A man came and fought with Jacob until just before daybreak. When the man saw he could not win, he struck Jacob on the hip and threw it out of joint. He kept on wrestling until the man said, Let go of me. It's almost daylight. You can't go until you bless me, Jacob replied. Then the man asked, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, From now on, your name will no longer be Jacob. You will be called Israel because you have wrestled with God and with men, and you have won. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do, do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. <clears throat> what a strange story, right? Did Jacob really fight with God? And did he really win? Now, we cannot be sure if this is a physical fight or a spiritual fight, but Jacob was nervous about meeting his brother Esau. So he could be having a mental crisis, you know, kind of like turning and tossing around in your sleep. As he was coming to terms with all the things that got him to this point in life. And he was probably wondering where God is in all of this. So physically or spiritually, Jacob again found himself wrestling and struggling. And he won. How could this be? It makes sense to expect God to win in every battle. It is God. So what really happened here? Well, this story makes me wonder about Jesus and the cross. 
I wonder if those who hated Jesus arrested him and sent him to his death. I wonder if they thought they want to. The religious leaders and their supporters, I wonder if they thought that they defeated Jesus. Jesus surrendered himself to our system, to our game, and let his haters win. This stranger, this man who wrestled with Jacob, also surrendered to Jacob's game and let him win. At both times, God appeared to have lost, defeated. And this makes me think that maybe winning our game has never been God's mission. And that the reality that we find ourselves dealing with is oftentimes not the same as God's reality. In our reality, victory is gained through fighting, gaining control, dominion, influence, power. But in God's reality, well, God seems to be more concerned about winning hearts. And you can't win hearts through power. You win hearts by joining in with people, participating in their experience, and validating them. So, through the cross, God reveals God's unconditional love. And through the cross, Jesus participates in our humanity, our suffering. And through Jesus' resurrection, God delivers healing, reconciliation, and liberation. By letting Jacob win, the men affirm Jacob. The man validated his struggle, his experience, and his life. It's almost like God was saying, Dude, you have lived a hard life. You fought with God and with everyone. And you've won. It's over now. You don't need to justify anything anymore. You have won. Actually, You've always won my heart. Jacob, I love you, and I bless you. And this blessing was Jacob's completely. This time, no trickery, no deception. Jacob gave his name. He was not pretending to be Esau or anyone else. And the new name Israel carries multiple layers of meaning. The, per, the first component of the name Ishra in Hebrew means to struggle or wrestle. So this name recognizes Jacob, validates his experience, his tenacity, and his persistence in seeking God's favor. The second component, El, is a common name for God in Hebrew. So now, wherever Jacob goes, El, or God, would always be with them. Not that God wasn't before, but now Jacob can live his life accepting that God was his too. 
and for him. In fact, this name Israel also points to the covenant relationship that was made between God and his grandfather Abraham. Jacob's 12 sons represents the 12 tribes of Israel, otherwise known as the chosen people, the people of God. You see, God was always his, and for him from the very beginning. That's why the man said, why do you ask for my name? Don't you know who I am? Have I not always been with you? It took Jacob a lot of struggle and a dislocated hip to get to the point where he could finally acknowledge God's presence and said, wow, that was God. I saw him face to face. Hmm. Maybe, maybe God was always with me and throughout my journey. Maybe. Maybe I never needed to cheat on Esau or deceive my father or run away. Maybe all those wrestling and struggling were never necessary. That all along God has been that close to me, protecting me in the wilderness and blessing me despite all the conflicts. In the last passage, the sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel. I may be being sentimental here, but when Jacob ran away from home, the sun was setting. And this time, the sun was rising, <clears throat> as if signifying Jacob's second half of life. Carl Jung said the first half of life is devoted to forming our ego. And the second half is going inward and letting it go. When Jacob finally met Esau, he bowed before him. But to his surprise, Esau embraced him and showed forgiveness and reconciliation. It has been a grueling journey for Jacob, but it was one that was transformational. One that allowed him to understand himself, exercise his will, pursue his desires, build perseverance and resilience, and eventually recognize God's faithfulness, embrace God's grace, and pursue connections. So what is the significance of this story for me, for Christians? Number one, we don't have to wrestle or struggle to appeal to God or to appease God. God does not look at our struggle and said, that's right, just a little bit more pain. Then you're good. <clears throat> you do not believe in such God, right? This turns God into retributive punisher. And this is why understanding the cross as a transactional affair where God needs to be at peace with Jesus' suffering in order to forgive us or to see us as worthy 
is problematic and is too small of a narrative. It leads us to think and say things such as, I need to earn my worth. I need to work harder. Maybe even suffer for God so he can look at me favorably. Let me share a personal story. I had a wonderful father. He was dedicated in many ways, a hard worker, and he was always giving to everyone, sometimes sacrificially. However, my father never attended any of his daughter's graduation, and he had three daughters. So one day, <clears throat> we were having a dinner together, and my youngest sister expressed her disappointment and said, you never came to our graduation. Why? Do you care about your work more than your children? Obviously, this was not true. But my father answered, but your mom came, and that's enough. I didn't need to go. Clearly, these two were missing each other. It's almost like they were talking in two different languages. So I said, of course, you did not have to go. I understand. You feel like working at the office is a more responsible and dutiful thing to do as a father. But aren't you missing something here? Mom came, and she received the blessing of seeing her children and celebrating with us. Now, there were certainly other things in play, too. But later, my father did attend our youngest sibling, my brother's graduation. And looking at his pictures, it looks like he attended many of his competitions and events, too. And this made me so happy. My father was able to receive the blessings that he so richly deserved, but didn't know about it. Blessing that did not require him to work harder or to prove worthy. Number two, considers God's reality. In our reality, exchanges and transactions happen all the time. And when we work hard on some things, we often reap the benefits of it. Then we transfer this perspective into our relationship with God. And that is where the dissonance occurs. When Jacob was busy justifying his worth, using the no pain and no gain rule, God was already all about him. When Jacob was all about winning and grasping the rewards, the inheritance, the blessings, God was already so close to him. So the abundance, the sense of wholeness and connectedness were always available and accessible for Jacob. Now, 
I'm not saying that you should not work hard and pursue your desire. Please do them because I think God really delights in our satisfactions. I'm also not saying that our lives will be free of pain and struggle if we believe in God or we believe the right things about God. Part of being Christians is finding new ways of being in this world. One that is not conditioned or troubled by the anxiety and the pressures of our world. And one that assumes God is with us and always for us. A new kind of Christian is one who can comfortably live in this intersection between the two realities. One that is always up for renewing our minds, exploring new narratives, and asking questions. There's so much we can learn and really dig from Jacob's story. So I've included this chart to summarize some of the points we talked about today in today's insert. And after the service, I will be leading the chat with the pastor group upstairs on the second floor. So if you would like to discuss further, please join me. I would love to connect with you. At River Kids, we like to end our stories with some wondering questions. So I want to leave you with a couple of questions today. I wonder in what ways we have been transactional in our minds and behaviors, maybe in our relationships, maybe with our partners or with our children or with God. I wonder if there are stories about us that could be narrated in new ways. What kind of journey are you on right now? Where is God in your situation? Is God saying anything? Thank you.